Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Uh, sit down. <laughs> oh, it's great to be here. And uh, I'll tell you, Rick's one of my shining examples that uh, I use when I go out of a success and that God has done such great things to him and uh, through him here in the church and just to see what God has done. Your praise and worship this morning just ushered the presence of God right in. And it's just so good. And again, so many people that have come from our church and come here to go to CBC, attend the church. And I always come here and see people from the past and everything. Won't heaven be wonderful? No, we won't have to leave each other again. We'll be there forever and forever and forever. One thing I love about church too, not just the preaching. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Number two was fellowship. Just to go and see people. I don't understand how people can stay home and watch TV all the time on a, on a computer screen. There's no fellowship there. And you're not going to go to heaven and sit in your mansion and watch what's going on around the throne of God on a screen. You're not going to do that. You're going to participate with what's going on. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were coming to church, just walking up the, the sidewalk to the open doors, and the sound was deafening of people just talking, 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 talking. And I just looked at Loretta and said, that's what heaven's going to sound like. Maybe that's the sound of many waters that John was talking about, just people talking in heaven forever and forever. And you'll never go, well, I think I've covered everything. No, it'll go on forever and forever and forever. Uh, one thing that I was reminded of here, he mentioned October and birthdays in October. And I happen to think Jesus' birthday is coming up here in December. Not that he probably actually was born in December. We're not sure, but we celebrate it. You know what would be strange at a birthday party? I just thought about this years ago. You know, when I was five or six years old, they'd have a birthday party for me. And all the kids would come and put all their presents on the table, you know, where the cake was and stuff. And I just stared at those gifts. You tried to act humble, but you kept thinking, look at all those great gifts. Wouldn't it be weird if just before the thing was over, they exchanged gifts with each other and then left? But they didn't give them to you. It's your birthday. Welcome to Christmas. We give gifts to each other, but don't think about Jesus. It's his birthday. What if the wise men came when he was a couple of years old, came to the house with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, bowed down before him, and then gave them to each other and walked out the door? <laughs> Wouldn't that be weird? It's his birthday. Why don't you begin to plan now that this Christmas the best gift you give will be to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that sends the gospel out, people to prisons, gets them set free? Because I can tell you this, if you bought me a tie, there's no eternal reward in heaven. But what you give to the kingdom of God, a cup of cold water, will receive reward in heaven. So why don't you just do that? Begin to plan now what you're going to do for Jesus since it's his birthday. It's all right to give gifts to each other. But I'm sure he doesn't mind that. He just says, where was mine? That's all he's saying when the end of it was, it was my birthday. Anyway, he didn't pay, you didn't pay me to say that. I just said that because it's just something I, you know, thought about a few years ago. Uh, back on the table, my newest book is called Theology Simplified, and this is what I do. I like to take complex things in the Bible make them simple because Jesus was simple. I think the moment he saw he was over somebody's head, he just threw down a parable and says, so like putting yeast in a loaf of bread. And women went, oh, I understand that. It's just like fishing. The men, the fishermen said, yeah. And, the, and he said, planting seed. And the farmer said, yeah. Everybody could catch on to his sermon, no matter how deep we might think it is. You know what we used to think deep was? We'd walk out of church and go, did you understand the word he said? No, it was so deep. <laughs> that was our definition of deep. If you didn't understand squat, what the guy was saying from the pulpit. 
And so I just take it and make it easy while I've got predestination, reconciliation, sanctification, all the shuns, glorification, justification, redemption, propitiation, and election, eight foundational principles brought down to make it so simple you can't miss it. And so propitiation, what that means? See, look at the blank stares. The Rolling Stones sang about it. I can't get no propitiation. So the word just means satisfied. When Jesus arose from the dead, God went, ah, no more sacrifices. I am eternally I'm eternally satisfied with the work of Jesus on the cross. We'll have no more sacrifices after this. So that's what the word meant. So again, back on the table, his flash drives are back there, all the way up to this one. This one has everything I've ever taught on the New Testament on one flash drive. 460 CDs and eight books. 383 hours of teaching. If you purchase this, put it in your car and listen to it. You'll pray Jesus never will come back so you can finish listening to that one. (laughs) here on the earth. Turn with me this morning to Job. Job is back where the pages are white and still stuck together. (laughs) Say, can anything good come out of Job? Most people think it's the most depressing book in the Bible. But Job was just going through some unexplainable to his natural mind thing. Anybody ever gone through stuff that your brain just said, I don't understand this at all. Don't look at me so pious like, no, nothing happens (laughs) like that to me. I have. I've been in situations going, God, who started this? Where did this come from? I know it's the devil, but somebody's been planning this one for quite a while. Okay, this just didn't spring up as an idea last night from somebody. They've been gossiping about me behind the scenes, bringing all this stuff. And this is what happened to Job. What happened to Job was brought out in the first two chapters where Satan went up there and questioned God. You've got special protection around him. He says, well, I do. He says, but you, you won't let anything touch him. He said, well, of course things of life touch us, but you can only go so far. That's the good news. Satan can only go so far with you. God has built walls around there. God doesn't stop him with everything that he does. Even when we pray, sometimes it takes a little while. But there are certain limits, and so that's shown in the book. And the best news of all is, you read the closing chapters, he was blessed twice as much as he ever was in the first half of his life. Here's the other great thing. All those problems in Job's life only lasted nine months. We think it lasted for years. That's because there's so many chapters here to describing it. And I would, you know, after it's over too, you probably look back and say some good things came out of that. What? They weren't my friends. My friends weren't my friends. I thought they were my friends, but the truth came out in the midst of all this. And Lord, I want friends that'll stick with me this time. They'll stand with me in a trial, not stand against me in a trial. So this is what happened in the book of Job. And there came a time when Job was just so perplexed. In chapter 19, you can turn there, Job chapter 19. In this, Job was so perplexed with what was going on, he didn't even know where to begin. And so we've all come to that. You say, yeah, but Job had problems. He's like, no, God said at the beginning of Job, he's the most righteous man on the face of the earth. So I look at him, there's nothing wrong. I can't see anything wrong in his life. And so with that, even people who that we think have arrived, Talk to ministers. Talk to people who've been in the ministry for years that you revere and put on a pedestal. And maybe after a while you realize, I put them on the pedestal for the wrong reason. I thought they were perfect. There's only one perfect one, Jesus. And even the the, who we think are doing so great will, will tell you, in their life they've had major problems. And even right now I'm going through one. But I've learned one thing. Shut your mouth about the problem and give the praise to God. And that's what Job finally had to do. So Job was just so angry, didn't know what to do, was so confused that this is what he did in verse 
23, Job 19, verse 23, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they may be engraved on a rock. In other words, he said, I wish we could write what I'm about to say in a book. No, even better. Let's inscribe it on a rock with an iron pin and then fill it with molten lead. This is what they did in the ancient world. If they wanted something to stand for centuries, they would engrave it in a rock. Then they would melt molten lead into the letters and then brush it off, and that would last for centuries. But even then, it doesn't last forever. But what he said was, I would love for that to be done because really this is what King's words were done. This is what you know, politicians' words were done, that they would do that onto a rock and then fill it with molten lead. Verse 25, for I know that my Redeemer lives. Now listen to what Job had to say. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and will stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Did you know Job lived at the same time Abraham did? Do you know it's possible that Job is the oldest book in the Bible? Scholars tell us that. They said they really don't know when and that there's really, he's not, he didn't live in Israel. He lived over here in these other places of the world. And how he knew all these, let me just ask you some questions. How did he know his Redeemer lived? He didn't have the writings of Moses. If his was the first book in the Bible, he didn't have the writings of Moses. He didn't have the writings of Isaiah. And he wrote things in here that Isaiah tells us later. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. Listen, not only does my Redeemer live, he's going to stand on the earth forever one day. And I'm going to lose this flesh now, but one day I'm going to get brand new flesh back. How did he know about a resurrection body? He, he knew all these things. How did he know them? There was no book he could pull out. It's because Job was a prophet. Job literally wrote this book. Now, I'm not saying he actually penned the book. This possibly came from all of his notes he did. It was found later and somebody else put the book together. But Job is the one that had the inspiration. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. And I know he'll stand one day upon the earth. I know my flesh shall see corruption, but in my flesh I'll see him when he knew about this body dying and another body coming up. How did he know all that? It's because it was given to him by revelation of the Holy Spirit. And what he said was, I'm about to say something. I've looked at all these problems around, suddenly just hit me. I'm going to tell you what I do know. I know my Redeemer lives. I don't know what I'm going through. But listen, when you don't know what you're going through, fall back on what you do know. Amen. Don't throw away what you know because of what you don't know. And how often does something happen? We don't know. Say, ah, forget the church. It's all right. Fall back on what you do know, and God will answer what you don't know. Just hang in there with him. He said, I'm, I'm tired of trying to figure this thing out. I'm just going to call out what I know, and I wish somebody would write this in a book or inscribe it on a piece of granite and fill it with lead. He said, I wish somebody would do that, and something better than that happened. It found its way into the eternal word of God. It'll be here forever. Even rocks fall apart. Even lead turn colors. After centuries, we find them, have to try to clean them up to find out what's going on, and it's inscribed in the Word of God today for us. So in the midst of what he didn't know, he began to cry out what he did know. Boy, aren't we facing some days today? Don't you get tired sometimes of seeing what's going on in the news? It's what he said. I'm tired of looking at my circumstances. I'm tired of seeing all this stuff going on. I'm just going to cry out what I do know. And with all the stuff going on, the looking for the predictions of what's coming down the road, I can yell out one thing. I know my Redeemer lives. 
and one day Jesus will stand on this earth forever and forever. And in my resurrected flesh, I shall see that forever and forever. In the meantime, throw your best devil because Jesus wins in the end. Jesus said, when you see these things come to pass, watch CNN. Is that what he said? When you see these things come to pass, listen to talk radio. I don't think there's anything wrong with that for a few minutes. I mean, you know what, catch up on something. But if that's all you're focused on, that's all you're going to talk about. And he was so focused on the problems, he said one day, this is nuts. This is just crazy. I'm going to say what I do know. I know my Redeemer lives and will one day stand upon the earth, and this is what will happen. Let's just talk about what happened to him. His wife, his children, and his best friends turned on him. He lost his finances, he lost his home, he lost his cattle, he lost his crops, his children died. He broke out in boils and scabs and they drained and they bled. His wife told him to curse God and die. And it seemed God had no answer for him. He simply in the midst of his dilemma wanted to shout out. He said, I wish somebody was around to inscribe this. Wish I had a secretary sitting right here that could write this out. But the Holy Spirit was his secretary and wrote it down for us thousands and thousands of years later as to what happened. His faith-filled shout is, the ins is inscribed in the eternal word of God. And to think he knew all of these things. He knew he would see his redeemer with his eyes. This has happened again throughout the Old Testament. It happened with Moses and Daniel and others when they were pressed so hard. They kept coming back to what they did know. Things are happening around us right now that really God prophesied would happen thousands of years ago. But all, here's the good news. He didn't also prophesy all these things would happen. He prophesied in the end that the devil would lose and Jesus would win. So people look around, they what's going to go on? I can just tell you this. I don't know what all's going to go on. The Bible didn't give us intricacies of detail. It gave us, again, brush strokes, wide brush strokes of what's going to happen in the day we're living in. But in the midst of this, don't give up. And I see Christians giving up so much. Christians living in fear, not wanting to come to church. I mean, if you wear a mask or don't wear a mask, listen, don't get mad at the other side. You know what? God has called us to unity, not to get separated over masks. If you want to wear a mask, fine. If you don't want to wear a mask, fine. It looks like most of you don't want to wear a mask that came today. That's fine. And people question, you want me to take sides on the issue? I said, find it in the Bible, then I'll take a side on it. But otherwise, do what you want to. Some people say, eat this, don't eat that. You know, I'm not going to take a side on the thing. If you want to eat it, fine. If I don't want to eat it, fine. But on top of that, don't get mad at what I do eat. I've got a wife that gets on to me for that. I don't need your addition to that. Not really. I think we eat the same food. Saw a cartoon one day. There was this, you know, health food store right next to a barbecue place. The health food store said, you know, eat here, you know, live a long time. The sign over this one said, eat here, die happy. So... <laughs> Paul faced the same problems. Paul faced the same problems. Listen, what happened in his day is no different than what happened in Paul's day and our day. It's the same devil and it's the same Jesus. It's the same word of the world and the same word of God. Nothing's been added to the word of God since Paul died on the island of Patmos. Nothing's been added to it, nothing taken away from it. It still stands forever. And so in Romans chapter 8, Paul faced the same thing with the circumstances of life. And in Romans chapter 8, he's telling people, we're all going to have the same pressures of life. Nothing says when you get born again, you won't have problems. What God says is when you're born again, you'll have answers to your problems. The problems with the world is, is they don't have an answer. They just have to wallow in the problem and try their best to get through it. We as Christians know 
We're going to come to the end of this. All things work together for good. Didn't say all things are good, but all things can work together for good. God can take the worst things in your life and work it together with something and make it come out good on the other side. He never said, I'll remove you from all your problems. He said, I'll work in the midst of it, and even your biggest problems will turn around and be a blessing for you. I'm going to take the guys that are shooting at you, and after a while they're going to come over here and join your side because they see it's the best side, and they'll be firing back at the ones that started the firing. Figure that out. Anyway, Romans chapter 8, look what he says in verse 28 through 30. Here's what we need to say in the midst of all our problems. I know. I know my Redeemer lives. What did he do? He fell back on what he knew. And here in this verse of Scripture, fall back on what you know. What do you know? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. I don't know how it works. It just does. I'm not going to sit around all day trying to figure out how the angels did it. I'm just glad they did it and delivered me on the other side. When I was growing up, my mother made the best chocolate cake. And I was little, but I just loved her to smell it all over the house as she was baking it. And one day all the ingredients were laying out, and I just reached up and touched it with some baking powder. Yuck. Some flour. Yuck. Raw chocolate. Yuck. My thought is, how can you take all this stuff and blend it together and come out with a chocolate cake? I don't know, but that's what God does all the time. He takes the yucky ingredients of life, turns them all up, sticks it in the oven, pulls it out, and there's a chocolate cake made out of it. And I have no idea how he did it, but I don't care. I'm just going to eat the chocolate cake. He goes on to say here in this verse of Scripture, we know that all things work together. I emphasize my man. I made it in black, big letters. We know. Just like Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. Paul says, fall back on what you do know. You know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For we know, uh, for whom he did foreknow, we, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, those he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. This verse says, not only do I know that God works all things out now, God will work out everything in my life all the way into eternity. Notice this. You know what God saw me as? He not only predestined me, but he called me, justified me, and glorified me. I've already been justified, and I've already been called, but I have not yet been glorified, but it's as much past tense as the other two were. I'm going to say that again. I have been justified. That was the moment I got born again. And then later I found my calling. But you know what? I have not yet been glorified, but God says it's a done deal. Amen. You understand that? You know what glorified is? It's a resurrection body. The same thing that Job talked about. This flesh will die, and I'm going to get a whole new set of flesh that will last forever and forever. And he said, God sees, in fact, to be honest with you, God sees Bob not right here in the middle of a mess that I might be going through. He also sees me in eternity about a billion years from now in a resurrection body praising Jesus around the throne of God. You know what that means? Apparently I'm going to get through this problem. And apparently I'll make it through the next problem. And the next one and the next one. Why? Because all things work together for good. And that's what God sees me as. So you know what I need to do? I know my Redeemer lives. That's what I need to be saying. And will one day stand upon the earth. You know what the world is saying today? All these systems. I'm going to show you a video here at the end. 
of what the world is saying is going to happen down the road. I'm preparing you for what Jesus is going to do down the road because we can look at the midst of all this and go, no, I know my Redeemer lives and will one day stand upon the earth. And I'll stand next to him in a resurrection body and this will go on forever and forever and forever. Even the millennial reign of Jesus is the first thousand years of eternity and there's more after that where it came from. And I can say this to the devil, you're not going to take over this earth, Jesus will. And Jesus will stay in heaven and on earth and you're going to go to hell and then the lake of fire forever and forever and forever. Because you know why? He was defeated at the cross, he just won't accept it. He keeps fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. And one day the jail sentence will come along and he will be bound forever and forever. Well, how about Paul as a minister? Ministers go through problems. You ever gone through problems? Yeah. You ever gone through some that were unexplainable? Some that you'd like to go kill somebody and tell God it was an accident? The <laughs> devil did it. I've, I've been there. I've been there. See, you, most of you think Christians are just wonderful people. Most of the time they are. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. For this reason, and the reason was, was uh, first, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. 2 Timothy 1, 12. For this reason, and that's in the previous verse that he was called to be a preacher. For the fact that I was called to be a preacher, I also suffer these things. That's in verse 8. He's in prison. He said, I'm not in prison for any other reason than I'm preaching the gospel. I was called to preach and here's why I ended up. Boy, that's something that will make you think. Should I have accepted the ministry call? Here I am in prison. It's better food at home than there is here. And so he says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in the midst of what you don't know, cry out what you do know. In the same way Job cried it out and Paul cried it out in Romans chapter 8, there comes times when you're surrounded by things you don't understand at the moment. Maybe later on I will. Maybe I'll never understand it till I get to heaven. I've gone through things I still don't understand in life, but it doesn't get me down. I just figure one day I've got a lot of talking to Jesus when I get there about what I went through. And it says here again, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded he is able to keep what I have committed to him against that day. Even in jail, he must have been thinking, am I really saved? How did I end up here? Anybody ever doubted your salvation? Be honest. After you saved, you said, I wonder if I really am. Maybe it was too simple. I just put my faith and trust in Jesus. Oh, there's got to be more to it than that. And you wake up one day and it seems like God is five million miles away. You don't even feel his presence. It doesn't matter what you feel. I know my Redeemer lives. I know he lives and he is my Redeemer. And that's why it says in this verse of Scripture, I know in whom I have believed. When it came down to it, with all the doubts around him, all the drippings around him, no good food, rats running across the floor, smells up and down the hall, all he could think of was, I know in whom I have believed. Amen. Next on top of that, I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I haven't lost my salvation. It was just up to me to believe in him. It's up to him to keep me. I'm going to say that again. It's up to me to believe in him, but it's not up to me to keep myself. And a lot of Christians think it's up to them to keep themselves. No, no, no. I believed in Jesus, and he's the one who keeps me. I'm persuaded, he says again here, uh, I, I know in whom I have believed, and am persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him 
against that day. He cried out what he did know. I am born again, and God's going to keep me. No matter what circumstance I am in, those rats can't take my salvation. The smell up and down the hall can't take my salvation. They may steal my joy for a moment, but they can't steal my birth with Jesus Christ. I believed in him. He's kept me ever since. I'm in his, in his hands. That's why, in our case, suffering could, should not cause you to doubt your redemption or salvation. 1 John 5, 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, say no, that you may know that you have eternal life. Does God really care for you? Yes. Well, it doesn't seem like at the moment I don't care. I know, I know in these verses of Scripture in whom I have believed and am persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed. And then look with me at Philippians chapter 4. What about the necessities of life? What about if they come and take everything away from you? You're suddenly starving, no food, and all these kind of things. It's happened before in history. And the world's talking about that today. They're going to control everything one of these days. Well, they may try, but the thing that is, they're not going to dethrone God. Man is not God. Government is not God. Presidents aren't God. Congress is not God. Let me tell you something else, too, which I appreciate him so much. Trump isn't God, okay? Trump's a man, one of the best men I've ever seen, one of the best leaders I've ever seen. But on top of that, people almost put him on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. Do you understand that? Jesus is on the throne. And God used him, tremendously used him. I, listen, everybody says he can get back in. I hope he does. I really hope he does. I want him to. But in the meantime, if he doesn't, Jesus didn't fall off the throne during the night. He's up there. And he didn't say, I know in whom I have believed. No, he didn't say, you know, I know that my Redeemer lives, who's Mr. Trump, and one day will sit on the throne forever and forever. He won't. But one of the best men around, God used him tremendously. But still, he is not God. Jesus is going to rule. Jesus is going to reign. My personal opinion is this. He wasn't put on, or he was not made president so that America could succeed again. He did, that's not why God put him on, in, in, you know, on the presidential throne. He wasn't there to make America great again. That was the overflow of what he did. He was there for two reasons. Number one, to move the capital of Israel to Jerusalem and to announce to the world that Israel is who it is and that, again, we stand with them. And he made all the peace treaties around there. Those two things were some of the last things needed to be done before Bible prophecy could move forward. That's my hope. That's what I'm saying. So, again... It fills a lot of gaps in on Bible prophecy, and so that's what it is. Okay, so Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul was not in such great financial shape before. Now he's doing better, but he reflects back on it. Not that I speak in respect of want, that is financial need, for I have learned. Say, I have learned. I have learned, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full, both to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many times do we quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? You don't realize that's the last of five statements. I know, I know, I am instructed, therefore I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have learned, I know, I know, I am instructed, I can do all things. There's, five, there's four times more learning than there is doing. I'm going to say that again. There's four times more learning than there is doing. 
All of the study that you do, study to show yourself approved on the God, one day comes out as you stand up and say, now I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's always going to be things you know and things that you don't know. Take a look with me at one more verse of Scripture, and that's Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Again, don't throw away what you know because of what you don't know. When you don't know, fall back on what you do know, and God will answer what you don't know. Our shout for our present-day situation and possibly days to come. I do believe Jesus is coming. In the meantime, I don't know when. I can't put a date on it. But in the meantime, I don't plan on falling apart. I plan on shouting. I know what the end is. I read the end of the book. Okay? You know, you ever watch one of those movies where you go, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? So it happens to be on a DVD or something. So you zip to the end and watch what goes on. Then you come back and go, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Well, I zipped to the end of the Bible, and guess what I found out? We win, we win, we win, we win. Well, that makes it a whole lot easier to come back to the present and go, go ahead, devil, throw your best shot. All right? And here it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 36, it says, For your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. I want you to notice we're not sheep for the slaughter. Somebody sees us as sheep for the slaughter. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, that's demonic angels and principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right now we are in the midst of the world changing around us, but God's world hasn't changed one bit. We don't know what's happening to the value of money, but I can tell you this, heavenly currency hasn't changed one bit. It's still as valuable as it's ever been. There's two earthly, heavenly currencies, the blood of Jesus and the word of God, and they're just as powerful today as they have ever been. Let me show you where the world wants to go. This is available on YouTube. It comes from the uh, National Councils from underneath the... Uh, from underneath the uh, UN and all that of the plans for the world to come because I've given you all of this to let you know what the world says is coming, but we're going to come back to one thing. I know my Redeemer lives. Go ahead, guys. a contradictory statement.
That's for the World Economic Forum. Aren't you glad it's not the Bible? Amen. Aren't you glad what God has told us is going to come? The worst part I hated in that was I'm not going to be eating beef anymore. No, no, I still plan on eating beef. <laughs> but the point of it is, it still comes back to this. This is what the world is saying, and this is what people are seeing. This is what you see on the news all the time and what they're projecting. The sad thing is, as many Christians are now beginning to get all worried about this. Don't get worried. I know my Redeemer lives and will one day stand upon the earth. Oh, this may be coming, but it's temporary. Jesus Christ is coming, and it's eternal. It'll last forever and forever and forever. I say this one thing. If there is anybody here today that has never given your life to Jesus Christ, you are in the right place. Jesus' presence is here. Jesus' forgiveness is here. At the end of this service, you have workers that will be up here. We have workers who come up, just come up here and say, oh, I, I just need Jesus. I have messed things up so bad. I need to get off the throne of my life and let Jesus sit there and he can straighten it out. And you know what? It's the quickest prayer you'll ever pray. The quickest thing, and you'll enter into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, thank you today for this. Father, maybe we go out of here today saying this. There may be lots of things going on I don't know about, but this I do know about. I know my Redeemer lives. Grant had a word he wanted to share. So just picture Jesus, the artist. And the backdrop of the canvas is your heart. And it's white, completely white. And he starts to paint. And the background represents your past. And as he paints, he's painting that past away. With every brush stroke, he's saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And he's wiping it away. Then with precision, he gets into the details and he starts painting the giftings on your heart, the blessings. All those things that he's put into you, he starts with precision. Now you've received him as your Lord and your Savior, the gift of righteousness. And with that, you become a son, you become a daughter. And you've received that finished work of what he's done. And that love now flows through you. The anointing flows through you, through your heart, through your life. So the Lord wanted me to encourage you with Luke 7, verse 22. Well, it's actually 23. It's where John had sent his disciples to Jesus because John was in jail and he knew he was facing his death. And he had them ask Jesus the question, are you the coming one? Or do we need to look for another? And Jesus, for the next hour, did all kinds of miraculous signs and wonders. <laughs> and then he sent them back to John. Because he knew John had spent his whole life letting the word permeate who he was. Letting it be the very fabric of his being. So even though his soul and his flesh were weary and doing good, and they were what were trying to lead him at the moment, Jesus pointing them back to the very thing that holds a, uh, is a foundation and upholds the whole world, his word. So I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to really look and ask yourself, do you have that same word as your foundation? 
Are you letting it be woven so intricately into your very being that no matter what your soul is trying to say, no matter what your flesh is feeling, you too can stand on that foundation. And in John's darkest hour, he was able to go and have peace. And the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the Lord wants us to be able to have that same peace and that same knowing that he is God. So Pastor Bob was up here and he kept saying, I know my Redeemer lives. I am fully persuaded. God wants us to say that today. So can you repeat after me? I know my Redeemer lives. I am fully persuaded. You had to not be paying attention to miss what the Lord's saying today. Through the message and through the worship and through the words. The Lord's saying there's a lot of uncertainty going along in the world. But everything you need to know to overcome is already written. Everything you need to know has eternally been written in the word of God. You're an overcomer. Because you have your faith through Jesus Christ. Turn to someone and say, you're an overcomer. <laughs>